Hi everyone, my name is Steve Tudor and welcome to the third in a four-part series entitled Our World Cup Lives, which sees 93-20 contributors pick out five memorable, meaningful World Cup games from their lifetime and how they corresponded with events closer to home. Joining us today is Chris, a lifelong Blue, an England fan, a referee, which is pertinent when we get to some of his choices today, and an all-round good egg. But Chris has a theory that may not be easy listening ahead of a World Cup quarter-final with France. That theory being that the Three Lions are forever fated to never win a World Cup again. Let's find out more. You there, Chris? I am. Good morning, Steve. Are, are <laughs> I, uh, yeah, it's, it's interesting because this tournament is making me think slightly differently. I'm, right. I'm still committed to my. I'm still committed to my idea, but what I'm seeing is a bit of a transitional shift from what I'll refer to. So I still don't think they're going to win it this year, but I'm seeing quite optimistic indicators of, of a change. Okay, and and before we kind of get to that, kind of like a, as a teaser, is it what is it mentality? Is it you know? kind of talk about uh common i think it's, it's cultural as much as anything. okay okay um, yeah that's what i think it is it, it it isn't it isn't rocket science it's just it's something that i've thought of uh, it's something that i've sort of held close for a while and there's one one of my games in particular was was the was the was the kind of tipping point for me to really hmm. sort of fall into, into this this sort of thinking really but you know we'll we'll talk about that Okay, well, before we get to your choices, um, as, as you just alluded to, there's a World Cup on right now, of course. How are you enjoying it? I have to say that I'm enjoying it a lot more than I thought I would. I think like most people, I, I felt a lot of ambivalence and conflict about this and and and, and i and I maintain those uh, th yes. th th those thoughts. I, I, I think you can. I think it's possible to hold two conflicting opinions at the same time. Uh, I think Malcolm Gladwell said said that to be confused about a, a, a particular subject is a really good place to be because it means you're thinking about it uh, mm. all the time. Um, but but I but the actual football I've actually enjoyed and uh, there's been enough kind of drama and narrative there. Um, and I think the best thing about it is 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 the way it feels very. Um, uh, sort of uh, uh, the way the, it feels like it's been crunched together. So having four games for like s seven or eight days, and then and then round of sixteen seems to come round out of nowhere. Suddenly we're into quarters, and it's like the tournament will be over for it. And I don't know whether it's exactly the same duration as normal. It just feels very very quick this time. And I actually yeah. think that's been really helpful. I think. Well, definitely um, the semi-final and the final. I know there's a shorter gap. Um, we're looking yes. at four days when normally it's kind of six, six to seven days. So yeah. Um, yeah. It's, it makes sense that that kind of goes through the whole tournament and it is more condensed. And it certainly does, as you say, feel yeah. more condensed. I mean, we've just had two days without football, and that feels like an eternity. Oh my god, I'm I've been absolutely bereft. So <laughs> yes. it's you know it's because because what I've what I've been doing a lot is 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 in my work. I, I'm predominantly in the office, but certain situations I work from home like if logistically I'm meeting external partners and I've just I've managed to work from home a little bit more recently mm. <laughs> and it's just a case of having I actually find I can work we're having the TV on in the background and the commentary I find quite quite soothing actually and then I'll, I'll take I'll take strategically timed breaks and lunch breaks <laughs> to, to catch them so yeah I've been I've been managed to catch more football than I anticipated that I would 
you know what the other day I, I found myself thinking and I don't believe this for a second of course but I just like a little flight of fancy I just thought imagine if it was just a World Cup on all the time and if these players yeah. just played for their country and they just went from country to country <laughs> different tournaments yeah. that would be wonderful just football on all the time and you could just dip out of it for a few days and then you know that you know if you've got a couple of hours spare around about kind of three o'clock in the afternoon there's a game on but of course, yeah. But it, but it'd be like Christmas, wouldn't exactly. it? If Christmas was every day. It wouldn't have the same thrill and magic. <laughs> yes. To it. Um, so talking of World Cups, then what was the first one you recall, kind of vividly? So, the first, I think that what the first one I recalled really vividly was '86. Mm. But I do because so so I have enough years on me that I can I can remember very. Um, fragmented images of 78 and the thing i remember the most was the ticker tape yes in the final in buenos aires argentina netherlands i, I just remember that um and then the 90 sorry 882 was a little bit more vivid particularly the final which was extraordinary and the whole narrative of um rossi's kind of redemption yes uh, but the thing that the thing that stayed with me the most about 82's final, which I think with most people is is Tardelli's celebration. Oh yeah, which which is just I can't think of a, of a better piece of footage which 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 personifies what a goal can mean to somebody when they score it, and the look on his face from joy to to tears to ecstasy was just yeah. If 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 you if I don't know how anyone can, who likes football can resist that image, whether you like Italy or not, as a national side. Mm. So I remember that really strongly. But I think it was '86 was that was the was the one that I kind of I remember the most, particularly one particular game, obviously, you know. But it's uh, but yeah, I, I had I do have a stronger memory of that. Um, but your first choice is four years beyond that. Um, actually, sorry, just mm. to stay on '86. So where yeah. were you kind of brought up, Chris? So I so I was brought up in Burnage in Manchester, right? And, and I think what was int- I think what was interesting the timing of that tournament was quite unusual to me. So I was sixteen in eighty six, and um, and I'd started. So obviously, I'd been I'd been I'd been kind of going to City since I was about really going properly since I was 11 mm. um, it was the the the, um, the cup final against Spurs the FA Cup final which really I'd always sort of been there my dad had taken me but that was one that really cemented my um, commitment to the team but by 86 I'd started to withdraw from football a little bit and that was a lot to do with just just the atmospheric games and the conditions and the way fans were treated and and obviously there was quite hooliganism was quite prevalent then, and also this, the kind of romanticisation of hooliganism mm. uh, as well, which really kind of bothered me. Um, so uh, that I was starting to to, to, to withdraw a little bit, t- t- taking more interest in other sports, particularly particularly boxing. Um, so so yeah, so so it it was a bit of a threshold um, um, tournament. Because after that tournament, and then for another probably four years, I kind of I withdrew from football quite a lot. Not not just national football, international football, but also domestic from City as well. I was I was a lot more withdrawn. I went to a few games, but I didn't feel the same kind of connection. But then things sort of changed in, in into the nineties. Well, your first choice is nineteen ninety. Um, just such mm-hmm. a, a pivotal World Cup. I mean, there's no coincidence that so many documentaries have been made about this tournament 
recently there's one mm. on Channel 4 and then there's one on Sky because everything changed thereafter um, and one thing mm. that really kind of started well, I, I believe this was the first ever penalty shootout England were involved in in the semi-final uh, sorry it was mm. a pens before and was it Cameroon it was a penalty shootout no, no, it wasn't uh, Lineker scored. No, Sorry, no, yeah. Lineker scored two penalties, but we'd not been in That's a shootout right. until that point. So this was the first ever penalty shootout. So, and, you know, what mm. follows is, of course, our first ever penalty shootout heartbreak, something that England fans came quite used to in the subsequent years. Mm. So what do you recall of the actual game itself? What, Where were you watching it? Who were you watching it with? Kind of, how, how did you feel straight after? You know, were you as heart... I was heartbroken. I'm, I'm Welsh. Yeah, I so I was a student at this time, so I was studying in Leicester, right? And I was into my when was it? What was I in? It was yeah. So it was the end of my second year. Uh, yeah, that was the end end of my second year. And and normally everyone went home at summer after the term had finished, but we stayed on for a bit to to watch it. Right. Um, so I was I, I lived with two guys, John, who's a Luton fan, uh, and Chris, who professed to be a Mansfield Town fan. But I think I don't really actually think he liked football very much. I think right. he just wanted to, to, to play into it. Um, and this Hunter. tournament did, <laughs> yeah, like, absolutely, yeah. yeah. Can you imagine? Because he, uh, yeah, he, he used to shout the stags because that was obviously like, a nickname. <laughs> but but, um, but I think this tournament did rekindle my interest, a kind of by accident, really. I, I I was I was not in the slightest bit kind of excited about the tournament, and and we watched the opening ceremony. I've actually not watched an opening ceremony since then because I, mm. I just find them just tedious. Yeah. Um. And I I remember my my twenty year old self, which hadn't f- at that point fully come to terms with the sort of how wrong it was to objectify women, was just compelled by. There was a lot of Italian models who were naked being paraded right. around the... I don't know if you remember that, yeah. So kind of, obviously, I would look on that very differently now than, than I did then. <laughs> um, uh, and then it was the opening game with um, with Cameroon and Argentina. Uh, that just suddenly... I just suddenly went, oh, hello. This, you know, this could be curious. And, and there was immediately some characters in the Cameroon side starting to emerge. And, yeah. and so I just found myself just, just kind of kind of watching just as I went along. I remember one particular game, I think it was Italy-Austria in the group stage where Austria really gave Italy a really good game. And I think they lost it in the end, or they may have drawn. But um, I just, before before I knew what was going on, I just found myself being drawn into the tournament, even though, by comparison, a lot of it was quite turgid as a tournament. Into, yeah. You know, it, there was moments that were quite dull. But yeah, it, it, I just found myself suddenly become interested again. And I was back in Manchester um, by the time of the semi-final, um, watching it with friends. And yeah, it was, it was by that point, I was fully kind of badge-wearing badge England fan again yeah. uh, at that point, which, which did, you know, despite myself, which did make the outcome of that game all the more punishing, really. I mean, I believe I'm right in saying that it was this tournament what saw the end of the pass-back rule um, because it was so negative, that tournament. Yes. I, I, yeah, yeah, I don't remember yeah. it being negative. I just remember the, you know, Baggio, kind of, Scalacci, just, I don't know, all, all the great kind of figures and all the great moments yeah. and, and, yeah. The, uh, and the Cameroon side and Roger Emilio and all the rest of it. So, um, but yeah, when you look back, of course, there are some real turgid games. This itself was mm. pretty turgid. It was just that there was so much at stake that it just elevated every single incident. Um, 
Mm. Of course, 1-1 one, one, going into extra time and get to penalties. And it's the start of the cliche that has never really left us, this inferiority complex that the English have, that Germany have the mentality to progress through penalties, whereas we are brittle, we we don't have a, the mentality for it. Would that be fair to say? Mm. Think things are a cliche for a reason it's because they're true yeah but but i would i would invert this slightly because i think that i think that england didn't feel inferior the truth is england felt superior but were actually inferior <laughs> right okay and, yeah. and 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 that's the sort of this game is my sort of first evidence for the case for the prosecution about why I don't think England will ever win a World Cup again. And I'll talk about a little bit later about the kind of history behind it. But but it, it's England had a good team there. And, and I think and I felt that we were a match and we could have even won that game in in uh, in extra time. And there was something had happened because um, the players, had very, had very, you know, allegedly had very much coerced Robson to get them to play a more continental back yes. three at yeah. that point. Uh, you know, and, and I was starting to see some mental strength from Lineker's penalties in Cameroon and also the, the last minute winner against Belgium. But the, I think the difference was is. I've always said it is application. I don't believe in passion in football. I believe that you have a system and when you apply it correctly, one of the outcomes of it, one of the products of it is is passion. It's because you're committed to, to the cause. And when we got to penalties, I just felt that Germany had... Uh, had a strategy had had you know it, it wasn't just about practice it was about belief and it was about the understanding that that the penalty taker should always be the one with the advantage if the, if a keeper saves it, it it's a bonus because really the, the from 12 yards out a player should hit the back of the net mm. unless it and, and if it keep it if you put it high top or low and the keeper saves it it's a great it's it, 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 it it's a great set save but the german penalties were just just they were just imperious. Yeah, they were just fantastic. Yeah. You know, and and our penalties, you know, it, if if you look at the you know, obviously the most outstanding one for me was Stuart Pierce's. And and he sort of embodies that lion heart hmm. bullshit, which just didn't work for him on that occasion, because he was so revved up with that that technically he delivered a terrible penalty. The, and, and it was, and it did, which didn't look like any of the penalties that used to take for Forrest. Yeah. Chris Waddle's penalty for a player of his ability that was an embarrassment, and and, and I didn't see any of those uh, any of those approaches from from the, from the German side. And so, I mean, I was heartbroken for, for for Bobby Robson because it was his last game, and and I thought, you know what, if you got through with this, I think you'd have beaten Argentina. Because I think I think that they that they were there for for the taking. They weren't the same force they were in eighty six, and I just thought they were there for the taking. But I just left there, just thinking, okay, there's a problem here, and it is about mental strength. But it's a little bit complicated because until we we, we until we realise as a team, we've actually got more work to do. We're never going we're never going to progress when we face this kind of opposition. So I was gutted, but I also thought, okay, will they take this on board? Will they now? Think about we need we need to mentally prepare in in, in more detail and to think about this and not leave not leave anything to you know uh, to, to to chance. I know penalties are a lottery, but I also I also resist that an idea absolutely because I the do. best penalty 
Yeah, because the best penalty takers, you know, their record is superb for a reason. Yaya Torre, Mario Balotelli, Lota Mateus. The reason they kept scoring was because they didn't see it as a lottery. They saw it as a 90% advantage for them. And uh, yeah, so I finished I finished that I finished that game gutted, but I still enjoyed the tournament for a lot. Thanks for listening to the first 15 minutes of the show. To listen to the full podcast and all our content, including reviews, previews, analysis, quizzes and much more, go to 9320.com to sign up now or simply click the link in the description. So what are you waiting for? Go to 9320.com now for the best, most passionate, impartial coverage of Manchester City and beyond.